Hey folks, welcome back to the Field and Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and thank you so much for joining me here today. So if we haven't met before, um, I am a small urban flower farmer. My little flower farm is located dead in the middle of the city of 200,000 residents. I'm totally surrounded now by homes. My property is a little less than three acres, and it includes my home, um, my gardens, and our my workshops. And while that can, like, produce some real lemon problems, right? I mean, I have a lot of people watching what I'm doing. I'm the last commercial farmer in the city, which the city doesn't quite always know what to do with me. While it created some lemon situations, I have found ways to make lemonade out of many of the problems that I have faced through the years. I've been farming since 1998, and Through the years, my flower farming business has just blossomed in a lot of different ways, but it's all based on growing great quality, 100% out in the field, cut flowers. I have no hooper greenhouses, which is one of those lemons I used to think back in the beginning that... um, I made into lemonade because guess what now, folks? I have learned to become a 100% seasonal farmer, all outdoors in the garden, which means that pretty much everybody can apply what I talk about to their garden, maybe on a little different timing, but we can all do it the same because I am not growing in any hoop or greenhouses. So this show is all about growing cut flowers from somebody that's actually doing it. And I love teaching you, whether you're a seasoned grower that perhaps needs to, you want to ramp up your business, or you need help tweaking it and getting it organized. Um, And also for that home gardener that wants to take those experiences and build on them to actually become a flower farmer. So that's the journey that I hope that we're going down together. And I know all about overwhelm, y'all, because I do it to myself every year, year after year. And it changes as your business grows and develops. Each year you face different challenges. And I understand how helpful it is to have somebody walk along beside you because I have those people that I go to too that kind of help me open my eyes and see what is really the way to go, not what I had a pre, I mean, a a thought up plan in my mind based on nothing. (laughs) Um, So I want us to talk today about finding your way in flower farming and I know that this could really apply even if you've been growing for several years, but you still just feel like you're struggling. You've got a lot of, you're dealing with failures every day or you're not being profitable. All of those things wrapped up. It is not uncommon in my experience to come across people that have been dabbling for several years. And in fact, they don't really realize it but had they really dove in from the get-go, 
they'd be in a much different place today. But that brings me to what I want to really talk about. And that is, is that I see two groups of people in this area of flower farming. There are, number one, are those that just indulge in endless dreaming and learning. Those are folks that just keep saying, I mean, if this sounds like you, well, this is my practice year, and next year I'm going to pursue selling, or, you know, I just need to read another book or take another course, or um, I see those folks um, as one group, those people that are just feeling like they just need to continue to learn just a little bit more and that are just dreaming up and planning the most amazing plans. Then the second group of people are those folks that also pursue learning, but then they do it. Then they take the step, the next natural step, and actually start pursuing what they're learning. Um, I mean, I hear from lots and lots of people that are asking questions that literally have not taken any steps yet. And so I thought this is just a really great topic for us to talk about. And before we jump into some suggestions that I have for folks, I want to point something out, and I can point this out, y'all, because this was me too. I suffered from this. But what I want to point out is that that endless dreaming and feeling that need to learn a little bit more, you can't, you, you won't be planting that garden until you finish XYZ. That is all a result of suffering from perfectionism. You may not agree with me yet, but I think you will after you take a step back and really consider this. And I know this, y'all, because I suffered from it. We don't just want to do it right. We are terrified of doing it wrong. We're afraid of what our friends will think. We're afraid we're going to waste money. Um, there are There is just such a very long list. And, you know, I've already done a couple of broadcasts about facing our fears. And that ongoing desire of that group that is just dreaming and just imagining having a flower farm, but they feel like they aren't qualified yet. They just haven't reached that plateau. Y'all, it's perfectionism. And you are not unique. You are not unique at all in that, that, that you're suffering from that. There are so many of us and we have to band together, but you're going to stay stuck in that dreaming, still learning mud puddle until you take a step out and actually do it. So one thing before we move on is that I want to reassure those folks and share that failing is a necessary step in learning how to do anything, whether it's flower farming or riding a bike. How many of us were told by our parents, you're going to have to fall a few times before you get, after we take those training wheels off, right? You are going to have to fail. So 
this is what I want you to write this down. Um, I want you to write down the two words, research, well, maybe three words, research and development. And I want you to consider all said following failures all fall under that. Consider your screw-ups, your mistakes, your whoopsies. You're killing them all. Not having enough flowers, having too many flowers that you didn't sell, answering a question incorrectly to a customer or a friend or to anybody, overcharging for your flowers or undercharging for your flowers or being overrun by pests. Y'all, those are all fears that we face. And because we're so afraid of failing at them, we're paralyzed to keep us from moving on. But all of those are R&D, research and development. They're necessary. You got to do it to get to the other side. Um, and I am speaking from firsthand experience, y'all. It's what it takes. You have got to make failures to be able to make your dream into a reality. I mean, we're going to talk about this so much on this show because I do realize that is what holds so very many people back. So, if you're one of those folks that truly wants to build your dream into a business as a flower farmer, once, if you want to take like a giant leap over a lot of the unnecessary failures that I see a lot of people make. And I find that sometimes those of us that are predisposed to perfectionism are also overindulgers quite frequently. I know that's me. I tend to go big. And that can be the downfall. Well, that is the downfall of so many what I would have seen as spectacular flower farmer business people because they out of the gate and so they hold back and hold back and then when they finally get started they go way too big too quick and that just kind of like that's like this is not a sprint y'all it is a marathon and those people sprint and they peter out. Sometimes they might last, most all, most everybody that really thinks they're going to flower farm, um, that's going to ultimately fail, in my experience, lasts a year. Some people last two years. The third year, their family is ready to cook them at the stake because it is just such a suffering pilgrimage because of the way that they overindulged. So, I felt like today, the thing that I could share, because this is like mid-March, or actually I think it's like the second week of March, and this is the time that so many people are doing tons of seed starting, making beds, which is what I'm going to be doing. Tucker and I are going to be working on that this afternoon, and we are... Um, making beds, starting seeds, and it's just, this is the beginning of the problem for the overindulgers. But I am, 
I really want to share with you, and I'm being so honest, and I would be the first one to say, I would have, I would have not listened to my own advice 20 years ago. I would have thought, oh, but that's not me. You know, I'm different because I, you know, I have such opportunity, I can do it differently than what she's suggesting. Y'all, this is the one piece of information. If you can get past accepting that your failures are going to be filed under research and development, which are all business expenses, by the way, um, that if you can just make yourself go with this next step, I can't tell you how it is really going to help you to potentially still be doing this at year four and year five and year six and year seven and so on and year 20 and year 21. And that is to start small. Everybody is so hot and heavy to, once they take the step to grow everything under the sun, to grow every pretty flower coming down the pike. And here's the other thing. This is what really, um, I'll tell you that the complaint or the statement that I hear the second and third year from people that are throwing in the towel is that my husband or my spouse or partner or whoever you're in cahoots with says, I just can't spend any more money because I just couldn't make a profit. You know, they're just draining the savings account or whatever. They're spending, 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 and not making, making, making. So people not only start too big, meaning the square footage of the space that you're planting, they then get involved in what I tend to call high-risk crops really early in the game. What is a high-risk? A high-risk has nothing to do with the flower and how you grow it. It's the high-risk of you losing a ton of money because you either screwed up growing it because you didn't know what you were doing, or you didn't have customers lined up to buy it because it, you know, bloomed when you weren't really aware of it, or you pest got it, or, or, or. Um, and there are specific steps that you can follow to up the ante of how successful you are out of the gate and something that if you check out that resource that I mentioned earlier over on thegardenersworkshop.com slash flower farmer, on that page, there's several resources. One of them is um, a five video series, and then there's a webinar, what it takes to be a flower farmer. My story of becoming a flower farmer and how unlikely that was. Um, and it just takes you through a lot of these steps and reveals a lot of this information, which I really can't um, go into any depth here today. But people getting so ahead of themselves is what leads them down the path to destruction of their business or their business never really gets started is what it boils down to. So today, what I'm suggesting to you is that for somebody that is a gardener, a home gardener, because that's the other thing you learn in my series about flower farming, um, 
the flower farming series is flower farming and gardening is like night and day difference, y'all. It is so different. I mean, certainly you can take your gardening experiences and that helps immensely, but you just won't even believe how different it is. So starting small for me, for what I see people really having great success with, we're talking y'all about a total amount of working cutting garden space. An eighth of an acre is really perfect. An eighth of an acre is like 5,000 square feet. At the very most, if you are an avid gardener and you have time and you are, this is gonna be your main focus, a quarter acre then. But a quarter acre is like a 100 by 100 foot garden, right? You know, that's 10,000 square feet. And that would translate into like 20 100-foot beds. That is huge, y'all. That is growing a ton of flowers. That's why I really recommend an eighth of an acre out of the gate. And, you know, I was trying to remember earlier when I was kind of writing my notes, I can remember Jenny Love um, in one of the interviews I did with her when um, her course, her online course with us was coming out. I never knew about her. Actually, I stumbled upon a YouTube video of kind of her progression, where she started and where she is today as this like amazing farmer florist, no-till expert person. She started her business from a community garden that I believe was even smaller than an eighth of an acre. She did her, she started selling at farmer's markets and then was asked to do her first wedding and it just blossomed out of there. But she attributes her success, just like I did. I was forced to start small because I didn't have a lot of space. And she attributed starting small to why she was um, into, was able to continue to succeed and succeed. And that's the part that I think a lot of people don't understand. Y'all, it is so much more than growing the flowers. You have to learn how to start a business, which is a huge bite by itself, much less growing all these flowers and learning how to, what to grow, how to grow them, how to manage them, how to harvest them, how to condition them, how to find customers, how to sell to your customers successfully over and over and over and over again, right? And so starting small, this eighth to a quarter acre at the most. And if you're less than an eighth of an acre, I totally think that there are people, I know that there are people out there, I have plenty of students that are doing this, that have less than an eighth of an acre that have focused on learning how to grow and manage harvest and then found their customers. And you know what they figured out? That they've learned how to squeeze so much by intensively gardening that spot and getting so many more stems out of that space that, you know, it's like a manageable piece of their life, y'all. You know, and I keep, as I'm talking, I keep thinking of things. When I interviewed Jonathan and Megan Lease of Spring Forth Flower Farm, um, they're the ones that do the micro scale 
no-till flower farm course with us. Their whole thought and mindset is they fit their flower farming business into their lifestyle. They built their business to fit in for a young family with young kids. They didn't do like I did. I just went hog wild flower farming. It consumed my life. I had to crash and burn and almost quit years ago to learn, oh my gosh, I need to make this a sustainable part of my life. Um, they're another great example of doing like what I'm suggesting that you do. Start small, learn how to do it, learn how to manage it, and then you may even find that you don't really want to grow much bigger than what you started out because it becomes like a part of your life, right? So back to the starting small. So having, let's just say that you have um, that quarter acre, which is 10,000 square feet. 10,000 square feet is a 100 by 100 foot garden. And by having 20 100-foot beds, y'all, you have no idea the volume of flowers you can get from that. And the more I'm talking about it, I really think you should only start with an eighth of an acre. Learn what to grow. I mean, managing that size garden is enormous. What are you going to do to your pathways? How are you going to take care of them? because you don't want to waste any time really taking care of them as little as possible. You want to focus all your time on starting seeds, planting, getting your garden set up so it's as maintenance-free as possible, because you don't want to spend your time weeding. We want to spend our time preventing weeds so we can really focus on harvesting, getting the flowers conditioned, and selling them. That is all very time-consuming. There are so many different, all I want to mention, because people are going to say, so how, how would you do that? How would you prepare those beds? And there are so many different ways to farm from conventional methods to no-till methods to every way in between. And I'm one of those in-between people. I have a portion of my farm that I practice no-till, but I still do conventional farming as well, meaning I use a tractor with a pull-behind tiller um, and use an implement and use the biodegradable film that we use on many of our beds, particularly summer crops. Um, so you have to find what fits for you. Nobody can tell you what to do. You have to do a little research. And it really depends on, as a farmer in the South, where we have a long growing season, our perennial weed pressure is unbelievable. That's what makes no-till farming such a challenge um, here, especially during high production years. So you kind of have to find your way. But in general, I will say to you, a 36-inch wide bed with a two-foot wide pathway is kind of the jumping off point that many people have found works for them. That's kind of what we do here on my farm. Um, actually, our beds are 30 inches, six inches narrower than that because that's what size our tractor actually makes. But when you follow these steps, of starting small, it allows you to figure all this stuff out. I mean, I just don't think, I think that we get swept away by the beautiful flowers, y'all, 
And you have to really not allow yourself to get intoxicated and fall in head first. Because I am telling you, you're going to be miserable when the middle of your season comes. You're going to be so overwhelmed with too many flowers, too many weeds, maybe not enough customers, not enough stuff to support what you've planted, whether that means cooler space, which I I am not a believer that people need to get a cooler out of the gate. I didn't even have a cooler until I was like five, six years in. And that is totally doable. And these are all the things that you really have to figure out. And, you know, that step that I suggested earlier that when you do start small and really learn about pinching plants to get more from the same square footage, about growing intensely, when you learn how to manage really tight spaces, and that's kind of what I was forced to do because the first, I think it was like 12 years of my flower farm in life, my entire property was 1.17 acres. That's less than one and a quarter acres. And my house and my husband's woodworking shop plus a potting shed were all on this built on this property. So I literally only had two quarter acre gardens the first 10 years of my farming. And I mean, I produced thousands of stems of flowers from that until I got the opportunity to buy the adjoining acre and a half that I bought 10 years in or 10 or 12, I can't even remember. Anyway, you can learn and you know, there's a lot of gifts to thinking about why to keep your space even smaller. That means more profit and less time is required to manage that space. So the secret to doing that, and y'all, I can't go down that rabbit hole, but I want to suggest to you that learning the true meaning of succession planting, which isn't just about planting over and over again. It's about pulling and pulling and pulling crops out and learning when to do that at the best time so you can make the most out of a small space. Learning that strategy will lead you down the path of a successful flower farming career. <laughs> Start small and go for it. Make the dream come true. Learning I mean, it's just the perfect little learning world. And there's only one person that can make the decision whether you're going to be overwhelmed, overstressed, and and burn the pathway to failing or burning the best pathway possible to being successful. And that's you. You are the only one. You know, I, my husband, who also owns a business, we often discuss at the dinner table, you know, it's like our saying is today was a blister <laughs> when we've had a bad day. And some days either one of us will say, my goodness, today was a blister. We'll say, we'll remind the other one. You do realize you've said that for like five days in a row now. And there is only one person in this entire world that can change that. And that's you. You're the one making the decisions. And I don't, nobody is indispensable. 
You know, we create our own situations and we just have to take a step back and decide, all right, I can't grow a quarter of an acre. Maybe the reality is I need to grow a 16th of an acre to learn and figure out how to do this and get my business off the ground. Because gosh, I have three small children and I'm gonna have to have somebody keep an eye on them while I'm actually doing my farming. So how many hours a week is that? I mean, y'all, it is all that simple. You have to just hash it out and make a plan. And what will develop during this process is you will find your niche. And that's something we're going to talk about on another day deeper is finding your niche. But I want to just share a really short journey of finding a niche that happened for me. And um, so many of you all know that um, I own the thegardenersworkshop.com, which is an an online garden store, which has grown into so much more as I have developed my niche over the years. But what the Gardener's Workshop is, is we are an online garden shop um, and the home to all the resources that I offer, as well as home base to all the online courses that I have created and published, and then those courses that I have published for other um, flower-based business industry leaders, right? But the niche that I have carved out for our online garden shop that has developed over years of doing it is that we package farmer products into small grower and home gardener size packages. Stuff that's typically not even available to small growers unless they want to invest in huge amounts. And home gardeners don't even know about many of the products that I'm talking about. So this means that you as a small grower or as a home gardener can use the same supplies, grow the same seeds that we grow, and the same tools that we use. And the bonus is that we offer our instructions on how we use it. So I didn't like launch the Gardener's Workshop in 2000. And so I launched my flower farm in 1998. The garden shop became a reality in 2005. And when it came out in 2005, I knew that I wanted to sell the stuff that I used, but we didn't see the big picture yet. It developed through the years. And, you know, how many failures did I have over those years? Oh my goodness, y'all. How much money, time, tears, blood, sweat, <laughs> all of it did I have to oh my goodness, put into it to get to where we are today. I mean, that's kind of our niche, you know. For those of you that are our customers, you know that we don't sell a whole bunch of different tools. For instance, we only sell one stand-up hoe. The hoe that I find does the whole job for us. We only sell one hand hoe because that's the one that I use, you know. And we sell the same seat. We do not... We do not grow and save seeds. I buy extra of the seeds that I purchase from seed houses 
and package it with my instructions for you guys so you can grow the same stuff. And why is that really important? Because I only grow the seeds that are fairly easy to start, are strong garden growers, and are great cut flowers. So that's our niche. And when I launched my business plan in 2005 for this garden shop online, I didn't know all that stuff. I had to make mistake after mistake, which we now know is just research and development, right, y'all? So I hope that this is going to help you to rethink. And let me just say, if you've already started four times the many seeds that you need, um, the tip that I share and um, over and over about starting seeds is I always start twice as many seeds as we really need because not every seed germinates and you always want to be able to plant your garden spaces fully and completely. So if you started more than you need, that's okay. And then you can do things with your seedlings. First off, composting them in the compost heap is perfectly acceptable. We do it every week. We always have extras. We don't always have the opportunity to share them with people, um, but you can do that. There are things to do with your seedlings, so don't feel like you have to plant them in your garden. So again, if you want more resources on the steps that I recommend to help you on this journey of becoming a successful flower farmer, of making your dream a reality, and having the best chance of reaching your goal of having a little business. The resource you can find is over at thegardenersworkshop.com backslash flower farmer. And you're going to find several series. Um, you can request my webinar, What It Takes to Be a Flower Farmer. I kind of blow some of the myths out of the water. Then there's a series of several videos of me just talking about the journey of becoming a flower farmer and then my story of how I was such an unlikely candidate. I mean, y'all, I wasn't even a gardener until about a couple years before I jumped into flower farming. And I live in the middle of the city. I only lived on an acre and 1.17 acres back then. And I made it all a reality. And I would love for you to join me in this journey. And if you're enjoying my podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode as well as to review it. Um, that would be so helpful when the more reviews you get, the more your podcast gets shown to people that are searching for podcasts about gardening and farming. And that would just really help me so much. So folks, I would love for you to join me in this journey of flower farming and we're doing it right here together and I love coming to you from my little urban flower farm here in southeastern Virginia and who this I mean y'all this is like an experiment a research and development in action I I am bringing you this podcast and figuring it out as I go I don't know if you noticed but we've now added music <laughs> that was another step we had to figure out so you know, I would just love to see you back here again next week. 
And remember that you can connect with me and ask me questions each week on Facebook Saturday mornings, the Gardener's Workshop live on my Facebook farm page at 11 a.m. on Saturdays. And I'm on Instagram, Ask a Flower Farmer, on Wednesdays at 11.30, and that's Eastern Standard Time. And I'm also, guys, if you've got an iPhone and you're on the new platform, Clubhouse, I'm doing Ask a Flower Farmer over there for a conversation where we can actually chat um, at 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings, and um, that's a fun new thing that's going on, and I see that platform growing to include everybody, and as soon as they give me invites, um, I'll be sharing them with you guys to join that platform. So friends, until we meet again, ciao.